Welcome to the Academy, the premier community for God-fearing, high-achieving women entrepreneurs. I am your host, Demita McGee. And listen, this is the place for women dedicated to owning and operating businesses using biblical principles. This is where practicality and spirituality intersect, ladies. The Academy will challenge your view of what you have been taught business should look like and help you truly tap into business the way God designed it. So let's get started with today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And the purpose, how this all came about is because I want to understand entrepreneurship God's way. It's really important to me to operate my business using biblical principles. And as I learn better, I feel obligated to teach women how to operate their businesses doing the same. My heart is for the roles that we play in our families, the roles that we play in our communities, and how we can always do that by making God the center in the head and getting everything else done around him. So that's where this came from. So you guys, you are joining me on this quest for knowledge. That's exactly what this is. So I have decided to open my Bible, to open resources, and just continue to study God's word and learn as much as I can about every single entrepreneur that I can find in scripture. That was the purpose of the Business Bible Hour. So I start this by saying... I am not a master of scripture. I am a student of scripture. In fact, I'm in school right now learning as much as possible on this journey God has me on. I am not a pastor. I am not a preacher. I am a teacher by heart, but as a teacher by in, in my spirit, I'm also a student. And I also want to be 100% transparent. You guys are actually um, going along on this journey with me because I'm working on my next book, which is about entrepreneurs in the Bible. So Enjoy. We're doing it together. So let's dig in today. So my initial intention was to go um, book by book by book. So we were in Genesis. So my my thought process was that, hey, we were we're going to go to Exodus next. You know, that was the plan. But that's not what happened during study. So during study, God kind of took me a different route. And I'm OK with that. And so now we're going to talk about someone else who we admire in scripture, who we absolutely love from scripture, whom we've heard a lot about in scripture. But I think a lot of us know very little about in scripture, and that is Solomon. So today we're going to talk about King Solomon, the one and only David, the king's son, the actual son of Bathsheba. You know how we love that exotic story about how David saw Bathsheba taking a bath, I believe it was. And he saw her. He was like, I got to have her. She is gorgeous. But she is married. Okay, I got this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take her husband. I'm going to put him on the front line of battle. Prayerfully, he gets killed first and I can marry this woman. And that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what he did. And when he and Bathsheba slept together, they conceived a child. And God said, that child will not live. And David fasted and prayed on his face, asking God if he could just have mercy on that child. And on the seventh day of that child's life, God took his life and that child died. And David got up and his servants were afraid to tell him because they thought if we tell him the way that he acted while the child was alive, what is he going to do when he finds out that the child is dead? He's just not going to even make it. He heard them whispering and he said to them, is he dead? 
And they say, yes, he is. And he got up and he got himself together and he ate a meal. And they looked at him and they thought, wait a minute, we are so confused. When the child was alive, you would not come out of that room from fasting, from praying. And now that the child is dead, you just get up and you come and you eat. And David said, what's going to happen now? Do you think I can fast and God's going to bring him back to life? He's not going to do that. And so he got up, he ate, he went to comfort Bathsheba, who at this point is now his wife. And he laid with her and they conceived a second son together. And that son was Solomon. And God loved Solomon. And so even though his name was Solomon, Nathan, the prophet at the time, who was a um, advisor of David, called him Jedidiah, which means friend of God. So God loved Solomon. And the story is so incredible. The name Solomon in Hebrew, it gives us the word shalom, which a lot of us have heard before, which means peace. So Solomon was also um, a king of peace. And literally during his reign, it was a time of unprecedented peace and safety in the kingdom of Israel. If we look, it says that he reigned for over four, four, not over, but for 40 years in the 10th century BC. So before Christ, years went down. Now, of course, after Christ, years go up. So we're looking at from 970 to 930 BC. That is when Solomon reigned. And according to all of my studies, it looks like he took over the throne as a teenager. So that's where we get... Um, when we read about Solomon and we know that he has all this amazing wisdom, that's what we learn in the scripture. When he went to God in a dream, actually, God comes to him in a dream and he says, what do you want? It's so beautiful. One of my favorite um, Bibles to read from, I do read from the King James Version, but I do honestly love the NLT version. It makes things so incredibly clear for me. So one, one of the things that happened was Solomon became the king was Jesus or God came to him in a dream. Let's backtrack a little bit. So at the time before kingship, Solomon was the third king of Israel. Okay. Third king, David, his father before him and Saul before him. Prior to that, this is what's, this is where the monarchy comes into place. Prior to that is what we see judges. Now, before judges, remember the people were just ruled by basically God himself or whoever he spoke through it, like Moses or like Joshua. But the people looked around and they saw that all these other kingdoms and that they had judges. And so they asked for a judge. So God sent a series of judges to rule over them because they asked for it. And it's so interesting. Hindsight is 2020. We're looking at things from the, the 21st century. And so as we see things, we understand that you had direct fellowship with God himself through someone. And at that time you didn't appreciate it. So you wanted people to rule over you. It's so interesting how depending upon the period of time that we're in, you can see you can just see our humanity. And so that's what the book of Judges actually brings our attention to. That man left up into the, their own devices will do what is right in their sight. Literally so many times in the book of Judges, it ends chapters in with man did what was right in his eyes. Man did what was right in his eyes. Because what we find through that book is that we could not do what was right. We couldn't. We needed God to be able to do that for us. So the Bible transitions from this um, judgeship 
all these different judges to the monarchy where you actually have a king ruling over the people. And so that's how we get to Solomon, who is the third king. And like his father, he ruled 40 years. David ruled 40 years as the king. And so did Solomon. And so we find ourselves in Solomon chapter, and not Solomon, but first Kings chapter three. This is where he comes to God or God comes to him in a dream. And he asks him, what is it you want? And Solomon says, I am like a, I mean, it sounds so beautiful. Let me just read it because I'm going to paraphrase. And it sounds so amazing the way it's written in scripture. So God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. And Solomon replied, you show faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued continued your faithful love in him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, why is that big? That's big because um, he told David that as long as you serve me and no other gods and follow my commandments, your family will always be on the throne. Okay. Chapter of verse seven. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine going to God and saying, God, you've given me this, but I'm like a little child who I don't know my way around. He was so humble and that humility, you can feel it. But what I didn't realize when I first read this was that he was incredibly young. He was a teenager by most accounts. And so imagine I'm 42 years old and there are places in the Bible where Jesus reminds people to come to God as a little child. And so we forget because we've lived on this earth, you know, a a couple of years. We think we're all knowing and we have all this wisdom. But what we find out as we get older is that our wisdom is so limited that we don't know so many things. The older we get, the more we realize we don't know. So can you imagine even at this point, and we're talking entrepreneurship, coming to God and saying, God, you've given me this amazing vision. Like, I'm like a kid, though. I don't I don't know my way around business. So that's what this says to me. He says, Now, oh, Lord, my God, you've made me king instead of my father. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. You can just you can just feel the humility in that. And so what's interesting is if we take that and we apply it, just take that piece right there and apply it to business and apply it to the vision that God's giving you for entrepreneurship. If we take that piece right there and we understand that we have businesses to serve one another, it's not so we can become millionaires. Like that's not the first um, priority of God. The priority of God is that we serve ye one another. Right. And so when we do that, if we think in the terms of God, you've given me this amazing vision, but I'm like a child. You've asked me to serve your people. You've you've given me this privilege. But how do I serve a a people as great as the people that you've asked me to serve? The kingdom of God is who we're serving. The Christian, that's who we're serving. But the reality is we're serving a lot more than just people who believe in Christ himself. God sent us out there. He told us as lambs 
and sheep among wolves. There are people who are in this world who need to know God. And the only way they're going to do that is through you. So you may be serving people who are not just believers. What if you are called to serve those who are not believers, but you do it in such a way that you're literally the personification of Jesus that they'll ever see. And because you do that, and because they see you, they know there is a God through your actions and through your faith walk and through the way you honor God through your business. In fact, one of the things that I wrote down here that I'm way ahead of myself because I wasn't going to get to for a little while is that um, we are to serve people, our clients, our customers, our prospective clients, prospective customers in such a way it's as if we're serving God himself. In fact, there's a scripture and it is where God says, if you are a speaker, speak as if the word of God is coming out of your mouth. And it's it, it tells us to use the gifts that he's given us in such a way that we declare the word if you're a speaker. Then you speak as if it's the very word of God that is coming out of your mouth. If you teach, it's as if the very word of God is what you're teaching to people. If you exhort, then you do it in such a way that God is glorified in the gift that you're using to share the gospel with people. And so... When we look at the businesses and these visions that he's given us, these ministries that he's placed in our hearts, are we coming to um, our customers and our clients in such a way that we understand how great they are because they're God's people? They're not our just our customers. They're not our clients. They're God's people. How do I serve your people, God? I'm literally like a child Show me how to do that. Can you give me the wisdom to do that? If you felt that when you prayed that from just like the most earnest, humble place in your heart, do you not think God will respond to you? Well, let me tell you, we know the story. We know he responded to Solomon. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for but he didn't stop there. He says, I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. That's incredible. God spoke to him in a dream. So that is what a lot of us know of Solomon. But this is where we're going to take it even deeper. This account of where we get a glimpse into how Solomon used his wisdom is absolutely incredible. So two prostitutes come to him. And in the middle of the night, one of their babies, they both had babies literally a couple of days apart. And in the middle of the night, one of them accidentally rolled over on their baby and killed him most likely smothered him. True story. That used to be a concern of mine when I was nursing my babies when they were, when they were tiny. And so the, the two prostitutes came to him because one of them said in the middle of the night, 
Um, and they explained the background. We had two babies a couple days apart, but in the middle of the night, she rolled over on her baby and he died. And so when I woke up, she switched her baby with my baby. And when I went to nurse him, I realized this isn't my baby. So Solomon says, okay, let me get this straight. You guys both have infant children. In the middle of the night, one of you guys rolled over on your child and unfortunately the child died. And so you're saying that she put her baby next to you who was dead and took your live baby as if it was hers. And both of them said, yes. And they were bickering back and forth, back and forth. And Solomon said, okay, okay, okay. This is what we're going to do. Bring me my sword. They bring him a sword. He says, this is what we'll do. We'll cut the baby in half so each one of you can have a piece. What? <laughs> Excuse me? That was what he said. Bring me my sword. We'll cut him in half. Each one of you can have a piece. One woman said, no, just let her have the baby. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Just let her have him. The other woman said, good, cut him in half so she can have half and I can have half. And you know what Solomon said? Solomon said, got it. The woman Give the baby to the woman who said, don't kill him. Let her have him. Let the baby live because that is his true mother. That's the wisdom. Telling the story right now, I just got chills. That's the type of wisdom that God gave Solomon. And the stories of that just spread throughout the land. It actually says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28. The last verse of chapter three, it says, when all Israel heard the king's decision, this is about the two babies, the people were in awe of the king for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Verse 34, it tells us that all kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Um, and it just continues to happen over and over and over. And so we get a really significant glimpse into just how much people value the wisdom that he had, the gift that God had given him divinely orchestrated at no, he had nothing to do with it. God simply came to him and asked him, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. Show me how to lead your people. And God gifted him with wisdom. And so what God gifted him with the people valued tremendously, tremendously. Let's take a look at some other things regarding Solomon, but we're coming back to the wisdom piece, okay? And here we go. When we look at 1 Kings chapter four, it tells us that um, one of the things that Solomon did was he rearranged the districts of the land. And so there were 12 districts, 12. And there was someone who was a governor over each of those 12 districts. And so every month, one of those governors was responsible for feeding the king's court. Now, what I found very interesting is listen to this. The king's court had, he had a really large court. Okay, really large court. So they were responsible for providing the food to feed the court. And it says that there, there were a lot of people to feed. This is amazing to me. It says that a day's ration was, now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how big a bushel is, but if you ask me to bring 150 cups of flour, <laughs> that's still a lot 
but it was 150 bushels of flour, 300 bushels of meal, 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep or goats. Then they had miscellaneous deer, gazelles, roe deer, and poultry. These are all the things just that's one day. That's one day. Like one day. But each governor was responsible for feeding the king's court and the palace for a full month. This is what I found amazing. They did not mind doing it. They were okay feeding the king's palace all of this food for a month. Now, listen, clearly, we need to put this in context in terms that we can actually understand to see how huge this is. Imagine having a partnership with someone that's so strong that you're responsible for feeding their household or their community. And so not only do you do 150 cups of flour for one day, you're responsible for providing that 150 cups of flour for 30 days. I don't even know how many cups that is. That's a lot of cups. What is that? 44,500 cups? Something ridiculously large like that. So my point is that's just one piece. And then there's still the meal. And then there's still the oxen. Like 10 oxen a day? That's 300 oxen a month. 20 cattle a day? That's 600 cattle a month. 100 sheep or goats a day? That's 3,000 sheep or goats a month. That is so huge. That's a lot. And so think about the fact that they did not mind doing it. And that kind of threw me for, uh, I just found that, what's the word? Incredible that uh, they were willing to do that. Let me see if I can find the passage where it tells me, here it is right here, chapter four. You ready for this? Chapter four, verse 27. It says the district governors faithfully, faithfully provided food for King Solomon and his court. Each made sure nothing was lacking during the month assigned to them. They also brought the necessary barley and straw for the royal horses in the stable. Isn't that something? They faithfully provided, faithfully. And so that got me to thinking about, well, why would they? Why would they faithfully provide? Because that's a lot. They're giving a lot from their own kingdoms in order to provide for, or for their own districts to, in order to provide for the kingdom at large. Like what would make them faithful enough to do that? And part of the reason is because the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, that during the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and all of Israel lived in peace and safety peace and safety. So what we're finding is what they value. They valued what Solomon brought to the table. So Solomon brought peace and safety through his kingship. The wisdom that he exercised helped bring that peace and safety. So he gave them so much that in return, they were willing to give as well. Think about your own business model. Most of the times we look at things like um, how can we make more money? How is it that I can get people to pay me more? We don't think in terms of how can I create an environment 
where I'm giving so much to the people that they feel whatever values they're looking for in this particular instance, it is incredible. It absolutely is. So in this particular instance, um, they valued safety. They valued the peace. It hasn't always been peaceful in Israel. So they valued that peace. They valued their safety. I want you to think about, and I didn't understand this, when they would travel. So when we talked about Abraham in the beginning and they would do a lot of travel. You know that Psalm that says, um, I will look to the hills. And it says, whence does my help come from? And then he answers himself. He says, my help comes from the Lord who shall not allow my foot to be moved. And what I learned in that Psalm, it causes you to dig even more and even more and even more, is that when they did all this traveling from one place to the next, it wasn't the safest traveling to do. They had to deal with bandits. They had to deal with robbers. They had to deal with wild animals. They had to deal with all these things. They had to deal with people constantly trying to attack them and constantly being guarded and constantly looking around and then the treacherous terrain. And so when you look at all of these things, right, that they had to deal with, and that's just in traveling, but they still had to deal with it. When you go back and you read some of these parts of the Old Testament, you see where they had to deal with constant battle, constant struggle, constant war, constant strife. And so Solomon brought this peace and this safety, and they valued that. So if we take that concept and we put it in in, in um, today's world, and we put it in um, respect to your vis- business, what is it that that the people you desire to serve really value? Like, what are they really wanting? What are they looking for? What is it that through the wisdom that you desire to get through God, what is it that he's showing you that your people, your tribe, what do they even need? Like, what is it that they value so much that they would faithfully, faithfully return back over and over and over and over to you? What are they looking for? What is that thing or those things? And what we're learning today is it's attached to a gifting that you have. So let me backtrack just for a moment. Shanita is on here and I've told this story multiple times. And I even told it during one of our first Bible studies where when doing network marketing, did not have the money to go on a training event. And she just went all behind my back and figured out how to get people who were vested in my success to buy me a plane ticket. They got me a room in a hotel. This training was in Atlanta. We were there for three or four days. I was in a rental car, like all these things. I got fed while I was there. All these things were insanely uncomfortable for me, insanely uncomfortable for that many people to give and provide. But I'm so grateful to her that she did that. Because when we got there the first day, there was an older gentleman that approached us in Wendy's and he said to me, oh, you're going to be a blessed woman if you're not already. And I was like, me? And Shanita says she already is. And I thought to myself, I barely have a dime in my pocket. How in the world is that a blessed life? 
How is that possible? How is it possible? Fast forward about five years. And this is what I do understand to be true. God transcends time, right? God is not limited by the parameters of time that we put on ourselves. We can try to impose them on him, but he's not affected by our timeline because he's above time. He created all of this and he didn't have a timeline in which he had to get it done. He did it in his own power at the the pace that he wanted to do it or that he saw fit. Now, in order for us to be able to measure a 40 hour work week so people could pay us the right, right amount of money for the value we provide to the hour, we needed to create the hour. We needed to create the week. We needed to create the time, right? In order for people to allow you to take a vacation, they need to know, oh, how much time do we give this person for vacation based upon how much time they work? So we created time as a measurement to use because we needed to figure out a way to put place values on things. God doesn't need that. So five or six years ago, when God sends us I mean, turns my world upside down just to get me to Atlanta, just so this nice old man in Wendy's can tell me to my face, this angel on earth, that I'm a blessed woman. And I'm looking at him like, how is that even possible? So now, five years later in my time, but time didn't matter to God. He said it then. It's always been true, regardless of the circumstances. Just like he did that, he's showing me the blessings come through serving people, through the giftings that he's given me. Let's take it a step further. We see how the people valued Solomon's gift of wisdom. Let me make it as plain as possible. What is the gift that you have? That is the struggle that people have. Figuring out this dog on gift. What is it? Backtrack. We were in church last year and my pastor did this amazing series called Spiritual Giftedness Defined spiritual giftedness defined. When he did it, it was the most comprehensive training or teaching I have ever heard on spiritual gifts. He did it over the course of six weeks. He defined every single gift in the Bible. He described them. He gave explanations for them. He gave examples for them. He even shared um, professions that equate to those gifts. Who does that? Not many people. It was incredible. And as we were sitting there, I am literally on the edge of my seat, just listening, like, okay, this is amazing. And then he started to talk about the gift of exhortation. Now, prior to that time period, guys, what I understood the gift of exhortation to be was encouragement, but through singing, right? Through preaching, things like that. And as he's explaining it, it starts to resonate with me. Now, prior to this, I thought my number one gift, hands down, was teaching. I was wrong. Teaching is one of my gifts, but it is not the number one gift that I flow in. And I did not know that. The number one gift that I flow in is the gift of exhortation. Or the that's the, the fancy word that I didn't understand. So I'll put it as plain as I needed it to be. The gift of encouragement. I didn't see myself as an encourager. And I never knew it was a spiritual gift on top of that. Never knew that. And so that gift manifests itself in several ways. Singing. You know how when you're listening to somebody and they, I mean, they are breaking your spirit. I mean, they're getting to the core of you through their voice. 
Like you can't even keep your peace. You gotta like shed the tears, wave your hands, start shouting because the song just penetrated your heart so much. Or the pastor who preaches with such ferocity and passion that you're on the edge of your seat listening to them and the word just cuts to the core of who you are. Or the person who is, um, I don't know, I can't even think of another example. Um, or the teacher, here we go, or the teacher who shares a word with you. They teach you in such a way, though, that it breaks through every layer and they, they explain it in a way that you finally, it, it clicked. Like someone's been telling you that forever and you just could not get it, but this, it clicked for some reason. In this particular case, I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat and I say to my husband, I was like, I get it. I actually didn't say it to him. I said it out loud to myself, but I didn't know I said it out loud. And he looked at me, he said, now do you understand why people are so attached to you? Before that very moment, No, I didn't. So why do I say all of this? I say all of this because we are all gifted with a spiritual gift once we accept Christ into our life and the Holy Spirit rests in our heart. Like the moment we are consumed with the Holy Spirit, God gives each one of us a spiritual gift. Now, the the amazing part about spiritual gifts is that it takes what we can do on our natural and it, it just, when God attaches that supernatural component to it, we do things that are we are unable to do in our natural flesh. So you may be an excellent teacher, but if your gift is teaching, if your gift is exhortation, it takes it to a level that you couldn't possibly do on your own. That's what makes it supernatural. That's what makes it supernatural. And so... If you can operate in your spiritual gift, trusting God along the way. So like Solomon said, God, I need wisdom to lead your people. And if you can operate in that gift, right? You're not focused on getting, getting, getting from people. What you're focused on is serving people using the gift that God has graced you for. No, we don't deserve them. And the Bible tells us they're given without repentance. So God gives them to us and we choose to operate and flow in them and follow him and follow his direction. And when you do that, imagine how much better you become at your profession. Imagine how much better you become at your business. I'm a coach. So imagine if I was a coach, a business coach, and I operated in my gift of encouragement and exhortation at the same time. Come on, Jesus. That's what God is trying to show us. That's part of what we're getting from this scripture. That's part of it right here. That's it. So I'm going to close with this. And that is this. God has anointed us and divinely provided supernatural gifts that we don't even qualify for, yet we have them. Do we use them to serve others in our daily lives or do we just sit on them and not do anything with them? We have, we each have something, something, and this is important. We each have something that other people find highly valuable highly valuable. It's not intended for us to exploit those for riches and for personal gain. We are charged with serving the body of Christ with them, serving them as we are serving Christ himself. It's 1 Peter 4 and 11. If we speak, 
We speak as if the, they're the very words of God. It says that if anyone serves, we do so um, with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So God rewards us handsomely when we focus on serving his people through those gifts that he's given us. You asked for a gift. Some of us did. I know I ask for the gift of wisdom almost on a daily basis. God, refresh me, renew me. Please give me that gift of wisdom. I cannot do any of this without you. I thank you for every single gift you've given me. I thank you for exhortation. I thank you for teaching, God. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. But Lord, please also give me wisdom. I thank you for the measure of faith, but please also give me wisdom. I'm ready to play now, put me in the game now I came here to prove it, I'm ready to do it, I can't be afraid now Put me on the stage now, I'm ready to rage now I feel like an animal stuck in a cage and I'm ready to break out My time, my time, none of you people can tell me to stop This time, like the last time, you better get ready to race to the top ready to do this, show you what the truth is I step on the field, it's time to get Lower the lights down, hand over my crown, hand over my heart, 